0: John chapter 2 this morning is where we're going to be looking and and thinking this morning. It it seems good, perhaps, that we arrive at this text on Mother's Day, um, because here we see Jesus and his mother at a wedding, uh, and the interaction there. Um, It's not going to be a Mother's Day sermon, because this passage isn't about Mary or mothers. Um, but it's it's nice to see their interaction between Jesus and and Mary here. It's probable that, uh, as we read this in just one second, that this is a marriage of a relative uh, of theirs that they're celebrating. John chapter 2. We're going to read through the first 11 verses here and then uh, glean a few thoughts this morning from there. And the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee. And the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone, after the manner of the purifying of the Jews, containing two or three firkins apiece. Jesus saith unto them, Fill the waterpots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he saith unto them, Draw out now, and bear unto the governor of the feast, and they bear it. When the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine, and knew not whence it was, but the servants which drew the water knew, The governor of the feast called the bridegroom and saith unto him, Every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine, and when men have well drunk, then that which is worse. But thou hast kept the good wine until now. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, and his disciples believed on him. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, to learn from your word, to see... In these instances, both the the great joy of your humanity and the power of your deity. We thank you for this and we ask for your blessing in Jesus' name. Amen. So the point of the, the sermon and this event here, this text, isn't about the mother-son relationship at all, but to, to reveal to us who Jesus is. Uh, and this is, of course, why Uh, John puts it in here in his gospel this is the beginning of Jesus earthly ministry which begins with a miracle uh, and starts with this miracle John puts together seven of these miracles through his gospel eight if you include the the resurrection as a miracle which clearly it is Uh, but he puts these together for a purpose these aren't the only miracles obviously John himself and the others tell us he did many many more miracles but jesus or john chooses these so that we will have something to illustrate to us who jesus is in his nature and his character john wants you to believe jesus and to know true life you know some weeks ago we talked about that little word on our sign fundamental and and some aspect of what it means just by way of a little bit more of that the, the idea of fundamental came from the idea that there were five fundamentals of the faith which fit within the the solar so what we have here is would fit well within the solar scripture that is scripture alone and Christ alone these five things which bound together what was known as the fundamentals were these the inerrancy of scripture the virgin birth of Christ the substitutionary atonement of Christ the bodily resurrection of Christ all of those things we have talked about in the weeks previously and then the authenticity of Christ's miracles Why is that included in here? Because that shows us who Christ is, that he is, in fact, God, that all of these other things reveal to us that Jesus is God in power and glory. And that's what we see here. We see the first of Jesus' miracles, and we have no reason at all to doubt that what happens here is indeed miraculous. The miraculous is part of what Christianity is. It's part of Christianity. Christianity is, by nature, a belief in the reality of the supernatural. We believe in the supernatural. That doesn't mean we believe everything that is supposedly supernatural, and that we just take willy-nilly these uh, crazy things which may or may not be true. But it means that we believe that because God is outside of creation, there are things that cannot be understood within the laws of nature. Because God is outside of those. He created them and he can do as he pleases. God still does miracles. He still works miraculously in this world. Part of the beauty of Christ's miracles is how deeply they are connected to human experience. As we look through the Gospels and we see these, they they connect not just in a way to for, for Christ's personal gain or for Him. They are beyond that. They're, they're never for His gain. They're never for Himself. You know, even in crowds, as, as people come and, and they will touch Him and, and these miracles will happen around Him, in, in the crowds, he, he speaks with the people, He goes, and, and He touches and He interacts The miracles that Jesus performed were not just a display of power, but also a display of his compassion, of his humanity, of his love for his people. It's not just a cold use of power. There's always a reason behind it. They are not just to show power, but to show a loving, caring, saving God who is powerful enough to do what he says he will do. The first miracle, which we've just read here, is a captivating event part of what makes it so captivating is it gives us a look at jesus in both his human nature and his divine nature as they come together we see how he interacts on a human level with people and his compassion and his care but also how he can use his power in an almost unseen way to achieve his purposes so we begin here looking just simply at the thought that jesus celebrates a wedding. Our text begins on the third day, and and the timing of John here is a little uncertain. We're not sure where he's counting that third day from. Uh, probably from the end of chapter one, but we're uncertain. So, then the third day, there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there, and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. Here we see, as we consider what's happening, one of the first things we see is the excellency of marriage. Cana is a small town in Galilee, uh, just a, a little village, probably not far from Nazareth, uh, just a, a little village there. As I said before, it's probably a relative's wedding. Mary and Jesus had been invited. Mary is playing a, uh, what seems to be a significant role in the feast there, and organizing things and taking care of things. These weddings and, uh, and in the Jewish culture could last up to a week, sometimes more, depending on how affluent the family was, and they, they culminated with a feast in the ceremony at the the end. In a village like Cana, a small town like Cana, it probably involved the whole community. You know, It would be much like living in a small country town here, where so many people know one another, and And it becomes like a a small family, so it was there. These weddings would pretty much involve the town. And they would share and celebrate together. The groom in these times was responsible for the expenses of the wedding. And uh, as the father of two daughters, I am deeply entrenched in this great tradition. Uh, The ceremony would start with the groom picking up his bride and walking her through the town to his house. And they would celebrate as they they went along and walking through the town. It usually began on Wednesday evening. Uh, Depending whether you were down in the south or the north, it could differ, but usually Wednesday evening. Very important part of it was the feast and the refreshments. So when we read here about about the wine running out and that sort of thing, this, this wasn't just an insignificant little moment in here. This was a significant part. It it played a very important part in the cultural aspect of what was happening here because the feast and the food and the refreshments and the the drink was an important part of the ceremony. And Just as a side note, we'll take a couple of side notes this morning because they're not what the sermon is about, but one of the things we noticed here is Jesus' presence at the wedding is one of the things that shows us his approval of marriage not the only thing but it's certainly one of his things that shows his approval of marriage you're through scripture there are two institutions which god designed and built in this world one is marriage the family and the other is the church those are the two institutions that god designed for his good in this world and we see jesus celebrating that here marriage should be celebrated marriage should be cultivated we live in a society where so many uh people and and so much pressure and revolution has been put on our society with other things and other aims and the aim is essentially to destroy marriage and to ruin what god has intended for good the decline in the belief of marriage in our society is something to be mourned it's something to be sad about one of the best ways to counter the decline of marriage in our society is not to fight against it, we mourn over it, but one of the best ways to counter this decline of marriage in society is to celebrate the beauty of marriage and let it be seen as the glory that God shows it and designed it to be. See, God designed strong marriages to build strong societies. We ought to celebrate marriage. We ought to speak highly of marriage. We ought to encourage it in our society. We need to cultivate our marriages. We need to strengthen our marriages. We need to enjoy them. And it be seen that we enjoy them. Show the world and show your children the joy of a godly marriage. As we watch this and we see Jesus is there and he's he's at this wedding, we also see here uh, uh, in the the actions of Jesus simply the enjoyment of life, the enjoyment of life. Jesus loves life. You know, one of the the things that makes this so captivating is we see Jesus celebrating. You know, often we think of Jesus and and his life and we think of the the suffering and the trials he endured and the the rejection he had and the the interactions he had with pharisees and we see the the harsh realities of of life and so many of us miss his joy and we miss his humor there is a great deal of humor in jesus and joy in his life jesus loved life we often talk about the sacrifice of the incarnation how much it cost him and how much he gave up. You know, he left his father's throne above and, and those things. And all that is true. It cost him deeply and it was a great price for him to pay. But we also need to understand that Jesus loved being among his people. He loved interacting and living with his people here. Often it made him weary. But it never seemed, even when he was weary, it never seemed to be a chore. He loved it. It was an expression of his love. Jesus is not stoic. He is not distant. He loves his people, and he loves interacting with his people. If you know much about Middle Eastern culture, and and we've had a a little bit of of, uh, fortune to to know some some people from the Middle East over the years and and celebrate and and things with them, The, the weddings and the celebrations are joyous events noisy and and loud and and fun they're they're filled with just excitement as jesus is here at this wedding jesus is not the one sitting in the corner waiting for it to end jesus is there and he is involved and he's singing and he's dancing and he's enjoying the wedding with the people that he's around and he is seeing the joy of the place can the world be a difficult and heavy place to be in yes it can Yes, it can. Are there things that Christians shouldn't be involved in? Yes, there are. But there's so much of life to enjoy. And there's so much of life to celebrate. Live life. Enjoy the beauty of God's gifts. Because Jesus gives life. Jesus knows what true life is. He is a giver of life. Not just quantity of life but quality of life we've seen it in john chapter 1 and we'll see it later again in john chapter 10 heaven is filled with joy and life we like to look forward and think about what heaven will be like and we remember so many of the beautiful things of heaven we think of the streets of gold but you know what we're going to do in heaven feast there's banquets in heaven there's singing in heaven there is joy in heaven because god loves life is the giver of genuine true life the eternal life that jesus gives us also gives us joy in this life so to truly know the joy of this life and the next you need to know jesus not saying that christians are just meant to smile and joke and pretend that everything is okay that's not at all what we're meant to do but jesus allows us to know joy even in the most difficult of circumstances. He allows us to know joy, even when things aren't great. The disciples that are there with Jesus at this wedding, celebrating and enjoying this wedding, these same disciples would eventually, through persecution, teach us to see joy in dark times. They would know what that is like. Jesus celebrates a wedding and shows us the enjoyment of life. But here at the wedding, he is setting his agenda. This is the beginning of his ministry in public and what he's going to do. And so he's setting his agenda in this moment. Verse 3 says, And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto him, They have no wine. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. His mother saith unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it so we find in this this moment we find an embarrassing situation let me take just one small side note because i've already been asked about this question in preparation for this uh, about matters of drinking wine was a staple drink of the time due to your know, lack of clean drinking water and various other things you know the fermentation of it allowed for storage and and all and there's cultural things that went around it. Usually, they had it diluted to some form or, an or another, so it was probably much less alcoholic than what we are uh, see in our modern wines. Strong drink is another word that's used in the Bible for one. We read it in Proverbs 31, uh, and that was significantly alcoholic um, and highly alcoholic, even to to our standards. But so we understand clearly and we you can maybe ask about this more later if you want to because I don't want to spend the whole time on this just in passing the Bible doesn't forbid drinking however it does forbid drinking drunkenness there is no doubt about that it forbids drunkenness and although the Bible never specifically says do not drink wine there is very strong case to be made that wisdom Says abstain. So don't, I mean, you can debate whether I'm right or wrong at lunch this afternoon over your wine. That's fine. Um, we can talk about the details of that more later. What I'm saying is while the Bible doesn't say don't drink, it gives us principles which suggest that's the wise option to do. Alcohol can le- easily lead us to thoughts and actions that are clearly forbidden in Scripture. And clearly, drunkenness is a sin. So here, as Jesus comes, and he comes to this wedding, and he's celebrating, and this, this moment arrives where they run out of wine. Now, given the circumstances, the lack of wine was more likely due to the poverty of this family than it was to overconsumption. So don't assume that this was some raucous, outrageous party where everyone was drinking and and they were all drunk and they drunk everything. The likelihood, because they're in Cana and the type of people that lived in Cana and the circumstances in Cana, the likelihood is the family just did not have enough money to have enough wine, so they ran out early. That is a significant cultural issue for them. For a family to run out of wine, that places a strong stigmatism on that marriage and that family that the society and their their community will look at and say, wow, we thought we were poor, but these guys are real poor. They couldn't even supply us with wine for more than a few days at the wedding. So the situation here is not that Jesus was going, oh, the party's going to end. It was a situation of Jesus looking here and going, there are issues here in this society which are deeper. This is a moment of compassion, not raucous partying, but Jesus seeing the implications of what could happen to this family and this marriage if something isn't done. So Jesus is looking on this situation with compassion because this family could be deeply stigmatized. There was some ways, even if this happened, where the bride's family could sue the groom's family because of this circumstance. So this is a troubling and embarrassing situation for the family to be in, a difficult one for them to be in. And in this embarrassing situation, we find an expectant mother. Can you imagine the awkward situation that may arise When Jesus, a 30-year-old man, is there at the party with his new disciples and his mum comes up to him and says, Jesus, you need to do something. And the guys are you're 30 years old and your mum's telling you what to do? It's not really that awkward. Um, It's it's not as, as we often see it here. Mary seems to be helping with the wedding. Did Mary expect Jesus to do a miracle? I think yes. There is no evidence before this that Jesus had done any miracles beforehand. So despite the things that flow around that Jesus did uh, strange things and amazing things when he was a child, there's no evidence for that, that Jesus did any miraculous thing beforehand. But we know Mary and and how she understood Jesus and and the, the way she comes to him. I think there's probably at least some reason we could say she probably expected Jesus to do something outside of the normal here. She seems to act expectantly. Now, Jesus' response isn't rude. To us, we read the verse and and Jesus says, Woman, what have I to do with you? And we think, ooh, wow. Settle down. He wasn't being rude. This was a fact, a responsible and respectful way for them to speak to one another we see the same on the cross when jesus is hanging on the cross and he looks at at mary and and john there and he tells john that he's to look after mary he looks at mary and he says woman your son you'll see it a number of times through the gospel it's a respectful way of jesus speaking to her so jesus isn't putting her down he is in fact being respectful of her in that conversation But here he takes the opportunity to set his agenda what is he here for why is he going to start his ministry here and so in the words while he is being respectful there is still a gentle rebuke to mary it is mary it's now time for me to do what i need to do i know what i'm here for i have a mission this is his transition from private to public ministry. Their relationship has changed. It's become different. Mary must now stop seeing Jesus as her son and start to clearly see him as her Savior. The transition needs to begin. It's the first indication in Jesus' ministry of his real mission, his mission to to the crucifixion. And his resurrection God's hand is never forced by our plans or our impatience notice that Jesus does not tell her no but he is making a point about his true mission there is something he needs to do and so we see Mary's exceptional faith at, on display here Mary takes this rebuke and she takes it well She doesn't get her back up and she doesn't say, oh, this is is unusual, this is different. She takes it well. She leaves it in his hands. Jesus says to her, Mary, I know what I'm doing. And Mary says, you got this, Jesus, whatever you need to do. It's in your hands and she submits. She has confidence in what he will do, no matter what that would be. a lesson we all can learn sometimes we need to stop badgering god about what we think needs doing and what we think god should do and just stop badgering him about that and leave it in his hands stop trying to control everything and trying to manipulate god to get our ways and to recognize god you know what you're doing do what you need to do to leave things in God's hands. Jesus didn't tell Mary no, he said, I know what I'm doing. Trust that God knows what he's doing and look for how he will answer. So Jesus sets his agenda and in in this we see the glory here. So we we see Jesus clearly focused on what he needs to do. I know what I'm here for, I know what I need to do But the beauty of this whole circumstance and this whole situation is that while Jesus is on his way to do what he needs to do, in the process of that, he saves a wedding. So his eternal, glorious truth then finds its way into the simple details of life. He saves this wedding. And as he saves this wedding, in the process of seeing this and what goes on, he expresses his nature. One, that he is the master creator. He quietly puts forth his creative power. We read in verses 6 through 10 that Jesus sees these pots and he tells them to fill them up and they fill them up all the way to the brim. The reason they fill them up all the way to the brim is so that it can be very clear to all that are there and all that see it and all that know, nothing is added. This is absolutely what Jesus will do. He did it by his will without a word. They fill the pots up. Jesus says nothing that we're aware of. They draw what they filled up with water. And as they draw it out, what was water is now wine. And it happens purely by the will of God. I've heard and I've read commentators say that the miracle was Jesus speeding up the natural processes of what goes on that the water goes into the plant the plant goes into the grape the grape into the juice the juice into wine jesus took water and without touching it or saying a word made it wine i don't care how it happened i don't care if jesus did it by speeding up the natural processes i don't care if he thought about it and just went water wine i don't care because no matter how he did it it's miraculous nobody else can do that whether he used the natural processes of the world and just sped them up or whether he did it outside the natural process of the world does it really matter jesus did what no one can do it was miraculous supernatural it baffles me sometimes and i fall into this myself Um, far too often about why we feel the need to have to explain God's power at work why do I need to look at this miracle and have an explanation for how it worked why do I need to look at the way God does things in the world and have an explanation for why it happened that way or how it happened that way can I not be more like Mary God you know what you're doing And when I see it, rejoice and stand in awe of the God who can do what no one else can do. He is gloriously amazing. He showed us the exercise of his power was at his own discretion. He did not do this because Mary told him to do it. He did it because this was part of his purpose. He was moved with compassion. John doesn't tell us why Jesus did this miracle. So there's nothing in here which says, and Jesus did this miracle for this reason. He does, however, tell us the results of this miracle. How often do we see Jesus act powerfully out of compassion? Just simply because he is passionate and compassionate about people we don't even know if the bride and groom ever knew what happened the servants knew because they were there there is no indication the bride and groom were ever told this was a miraculous event no indication that jesus ever cared that they were told that this was a miraculous event just because jesus is moving intentionally to fulfill his eternal purpose ...doesn't mean that he doesn't care about the details along the way. What is his purpose? The cross and the resurrection. What is his purpose? The salvation of his people for all eternity. But just because he is moving to that grand and glorious eternal purpose... ...does not mean he doesn't care about the details along the way. The small things that affect our lives. The tragedy... And stigmatism that this marriage might find because of what happens in this moment. His offering of forgiveness and salvation and eternal life is never divorced from the reality of this life. You know, one of the heresies of the early church, one that they, they fought deeply, was one of the heresies of asceticism. That is, that the physical realm and the spiritual realm were two separate things. And they didn't connect. And so we had to deny everything that was physical so that we could attain the spiritual. And clearly, Jesus doesn't do that. He pursues the eternal, but also shows his care in the temporal. It expresses his nature, it expresses his compassion, he manifests his grace. We're told the pots here, in our terms, these pots held probably somewhere between 75 to 100 litres each. So, much like a, a green wheelie bin. Right? So, six green wheelie bins is what they, we had here full of water. Jesus made, without a word, something like 600 litres of wine. Like that. Just like that. And not just the dodgy stuff. The governor says, why are you holding back the best for now? It was primo. This was the best tasting stuff they had had. So Jesus makes 600 liters, not just of of whatever, but beautifully tasting refreshment. 600 litres thereabouts. The volume produced shows the great liberality of Jesus. How generous he is. Our God is no stingy God. See, there was enough in those pots to last that family beyond the wedding. So he filled their need for the moment and supplied beyond. This is the grace of God. Like the wine, his blessings and his grace in our life are abundant in quantity and quality. Romans 8 tells us, He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Jesus is moved by need. I think it shows that God is concerned with things outside of the spiritual realm. Course, ultimately and primarily, God is concerned with our spiritual need, but I think it shows that He is also concerned with things that are outside of that. He is concerned with the details of your life, with the things that take place daily, even the things which seem trivial and superficial. God is concerned about. See, God has promised to meet all of our needs, and in His grace, he often blesses us beyond our needs. If it is for our good, Jesus promises, if it is for our good, he will not withhold it. If it's for our good, he will not withhold it. And that's the difference between the prosperity gospel, which says that God fulfills your wants. God never promises to fulfill your wants. He promises to fulfill all your needs. And in his great goodness... If it is for your good, he will bless beyond that. Here, Jesus starts his ministry. And in starting his ministry, he expresses his glory. The portion ends, and John leaves us with this little benediction, or this end to his, his account here. This beginning of miracles did Jesus in Cana of Galilee, and manifested forth his glory, And his disciples believed on him. He expresses his glory. It makes his character known. Why did Jesus perform this miracle? It doesn't tell us specifically. Why did John record this miracle? Because it reveals why he wrote the gospel. So that we would know he is God. It wasn't just to show his compassion. It was to reveal his character. In this event we see a God who is joyous, caring, compassionate, gentle, but direct, purposeful, and powerful. All of these aspects and more of the nature of God are seen simply in his interaction with a family at a wedding. Many won't believe. As always, the miracle is not the focus here. It's simply the illustration. The miracle is the method to get us to look to Jesus. Too much emphasis is put on signs today. We'll see later through the Gospel of of John that Jesus says the same thing. You you look for a sign and you've completely missed the purpose. Signs are limited. They don't convince people. Jesus turning water into wine, that doesn't convince people that he's the saviour. And that wasn't the point you know there is no record of any of the servants following jesus john doesn't say here that any of, they saw it they knew what happened there's no record of anyone here at the wedding following jesus as a result of this but what did it do it excited his disciples it brought life to his disciples and his disciples his disciples believed on him marvel at the savior so what was the purpose then the disciples got it the disciples saw these are new disciples that have their faith strengthened remember these disciples that are with jesus they've only been with jesus a few days they find their strength in him faith in uh, their faith in him strengthened jesus is deepening the belief of the believers often god's work is more for his people than for others i imagine they stand in awe how else could you 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 stand there with him and you've 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 already believed jesus that's why you're following him and then you watch him do this miraculous event in this moment imagine they they stand in awe of him God often works quietly to inspire awe and to strengthen our faith. We need to learn to make the connections, to see the truths, to start looking and making connection between what happens in our life and God. That God is actually working in our life. Are you looking for the answers to your prayers? Sometimes it happens simply and sometimes the the moment that changes everything is so easily missed. When we were first married for many years, Kirsten and I had some issues that hindered our having children for a long time. And we prayed and, and we prayed and then one small event, almost seemingly insignificant at the time, happened. That one event opened doors which changed everything for us. God often works quietly, but don't mistake quietly for insignificantly. We need to learn to look, to see that God is working in our world. There is so much to be learned from Jesus' life. Events like this are intriguing because they show the eternal, glorious, all-powerful God is personally interested in you. He wants to build your faith. He wants you to be stronger in your belief of who he is. He wants you to know true joyous life. He wants you to know that joyous life by knowing eternal life. This is the most incredible, incredible miracle, the purpose behind every other miracle that you can have eternal life, that your sins can be forgiven, that he can give life to the dead. Perhaps this miracle is a great picture of that. Water was turned into wine. By the will of God and the power of God alone, the water ceased to be what it was and it became something that it was not and maybe that's the picture because in salvation god takes us from what we were and he makes us no longer what we were but something we are not the glory of his forgiveness and his eternal salvation believer take a moment and stand in awe of your god The God who can turn water into wine. Who is joyously, generously, miraculously filling your life with grace and goodness. He is a glorious, all-powerful, loving and caring God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you That we see opportunities in your word to see the connection of the eternal with the temporal and that in your coming to save us from our sin and to give us life we find the absolute joy of life in every dimension help us dear god as your people to stand in awe To see a God who can make something be what it was not. You can take our lives where they are now and transform them to be something of glorious praise to you. We pray, dear God, even this morning, if there is someone here who does not know you as Savior, who is still living their life bound in sin and darkness, that today would be the day you take them from darkness into life. We thank you, dear God, that in just one moment we're going to see a picture of that glorious reality in baptism. May you be praised and glorified in all that's done. In Jesus' name, amen.